Welcome to Podcast Star Forever, a 007 retrospective, and today we're here to talk about 1964 Sean Connery classic Goldfinger, written by Richard Maibom and Paul Dan and directed by Guy Hamilton. So, before we get into it, what did everyone think of the film? I think I'm on the wrong podcast. I actually think it's kind of wild that this is more relevant today than previous because of the weird conditions of capitalism. It's a good film. Well, haven't watched it in about... 10 years. I remember liking it. It is peak Connery Bond, for better and for worse. There's a character named Pussy Galore in it, which is a choice. An all-time great name. <laughs> I think the only better named Bond girl is Plenty O'Toole because of the line delivery, ah, named after your father, I see. <laughs> God. It's such a good joke for no reason. <laughs> Yeah, the Bond films are problematic, but entertaining. I will not throw them all out, but I have no love for them, and if they ceased, I would not miss them. I just sort of grew up with the Connery Bonds, just because they were on TV a lot in Italy. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I have nostalgia for them. Like, I'm, I, I understand the problems with the films, but I'm also like, eh, fun spy adventures. Look, I'm a Star Trek fan. You think I can talk? Oh, dear. <laughs> Let's talk about Uncle Gene. I hate this town. I hate this fucking town. I don't even want to be in this town. She's got dreams too big for this town. Hello, and welcome actually to Gotta Get Out of This Town, a 2000 pop-punk and emo-pop retrospective. Yes, I got the title right this time. I am, as always, Elaine. And I'm the wet burrito, Fletcher. And I'm Adam. Glad everyone is here so we can talk about actually the band Goldfinger. The, the intro joke was really smart and innovative. I'm sure no one ever did this joke in the history of this band. To be fair, I think we might be the only people on a podcast to do that joke. Hmm. Maybe. I am not aware of the wider scene of pop-punk podcasts. You didn't scope out the competition first, Ellie? I'll go do it. I'll go break some kneecaps for our podcast. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's your official task. I'm the heavy of this podcast now. Hmm, I can see it. Yeah, I'm gonna need you to stop talking you two to me, thanks. So, to recap what we're doing very, very quickly, we're doing a complete retrospective of all the pop-punk and emo-pop records that charted between 1999 and 2013 because we're dumb. And today we're talking about Stomping Ground by Goldfinger, a 2000 record. We're officially in the 2000 which means there are cover images for our episodes that are of a slightly different shade of yellow. I don't know if anyone noticed. I hope you did, because they are. Does any of you have any previous experience with Goldfinger, aside from, obviously, them being in Tony Hawk? Not a lick. I knew about Superman, and I knew about the incredibly infamous bonus track on this album. Did you know of that bonus track already? Yes. That's why when you reminded me which one this was, my instant reaction was revulsion. Yeah, that bonus track is... We're going to end on a low note today, folks. 
we're gonna end on a very low note today. But before we end on a low note, we need to talk about the band and how we got to the thousand. It's not a huge history, this is just our third record, which, you know, would generally be a lot, but we are coming from Bad Religion, who had like about 48 records before the 2000, so I'll take doing research for two records. I listened to Stranger Than Fiction before and after every listen of Stomping Ground this past week. That seems like a sensible way to do it. I don't hate Stomping Ground. I don't hate it, but it's just like, man, I've really been back on a bad religion kick. Hmm, that's fair. fair. I haven't. I've been listening to a lot of Isikor recently. Mm. Chunk, Captain Chunk. That's stuff that actually is in our spreadsheet and we'll get to it. Have you ever wanted to listen to pop-punk vocals with metalcore breakdowns? It's great. I thought that was bro on this album. No, Captain Chunk is more it's more happy. Oh, okay. Just like literally like, like the bra- metal breakdown are in like major key and it's just like very happy, heavy music. Hmm. That's great. The Newfound Glory invented the term because they did a couple of songs like that in their later years. Oh, Newfound Glory. That's a band I continue to forget exists. Anyhow, Goldfinger, let's go. So Goldfinger formed in 1993, of course, in Los Angeles, California, when frontman John Feldman and bassist Simon Williams met while working in a shoe store in their late 20s. Very Al Bundy energy. Feldman, by that time, had already released a record with the short-lived Electric Love Hogs, probably the best name we're going to hear today, and generally we're talking about a band who got their start fairly older than a lot of other bands we're dealing with. Like, Feldman at least was around, like, 27 at this point, so yeah, we've been through a lot of bands that were like, oh, we were in high school when this started, but Goldfinger were, like, fairly, like, not young people, which makes some of the things in this album less excusable, by the way. Uh, Extreme Al Bundy energy, indeed. But yeah, it's interesting that most of the lyrics on this album are pretty okay and do not delve into self-loathing or whining. They're just very generic. But you can definitely tell that these are 30-somethings. Sort of like The Offspring, there is a very boomer energy from this record. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good word for it. Darren Pfeiffer will join them on drums, and none of us could find the name of their former guitar player who became a professional surfer. So by the time that we get to the record we're dealing with today, Charlie Paulson will be their guitarist, and that's the only name you need to know. So at the time where they were starting up, Mojo Record was also just starting up, and we haven't talked about Mojo Record yet, I think. So I'm just gonna quickly go into Mojo Records, because it has a very short and compressed history. Mojo Records was a thing for like 10 years, it was fairly important, and then it died. Mojo Record was a small Santa Monica record label. It was started by Jay Rifkin, who... It's the co-CEO of Media Ventures, and yes, that Media Ventures, the Hans Zimmer company that makes score for film, that person started Mojo Records, and not even a year into the existence of Mojo Records, 
it immediately was basically taken over or at least became a joint venture with Universal. I don't know if they were still MCA at the time or they were just already just Universal, but whatever. And yeah, this basically meant that for the short amount of time, Mojo had a quite a big reach, both in terms of searching for artists and in terms of promoting artists. Looking back at them, they don't have a huge track record in bands that had staying power, but, you know, Goldfinger got their start on it, Lynn Bizkit was signed to Mojo for like a really short amount of time, and Real Big Fish got their start on it, which is another ska band that will come to it. So it's a fairly important label for the time, at least among the smaller ones. Eventually, the label lost steam, especially as their latest signing didn't quite make it through the mainstream, and was sold to Jive Record in 2001, who effectively killed it. Even though a lot of bands became signed to Jive after the selling, I don't think Jive ever put out anything with the Mojo Records label on it. But it's 1995 again, and Mojo has just begun to exist. Feldman met one of their executives during his day job. Uh, let's not ask ourselves how a shoe salesman told someone about how he had a band and met a record executive. And after being pestered multiple times for a demo, he gave him a tape, and their first EP, Richter, came out on the label. It's uh, one of those stories where the EP has a very big amount of local success. Yep, the, most of the songs on that EP are songs on their next record, Goldfinger, so I didn't really listen to it. But yeah, has a lot of uh, local success, lots of airplay, which leads into their first LP being released under Mojo, which in the meantime had become a part venture with Universal, so just between getting signed and their first record being released, just Mojo basically blew up. Yeah. The first record is self-titled. Goldfinger by Goldfinger, and is produced by Jay Rifkin himself, the CEO of Mojo. And I've listened to it. It's okay. It's sort of like the rest of their music. There's a bunch of ska rhythms, horns on a couple of tracks, but at its core it's basically just fast pop punk with a fairly unique energy for the time. It's more polished if you compare it with stuff like Dude Ranch, which also was blowing up at the time. It's a bit faster and less chorus-oriented than the stuff that we will talk about today, but it's fun. It's pop-friendly. It's probably their most ska record to date, which is not saying much. They are classified as a ska band, but they are not. They are not. They're not horny by the time we get to this. Yeah, no, they they weren't particularly horny even like in the, um, in the first record. I don't know what they're called the ska band. I think it's just because they wore suits at some point. Because they do have a couple of ska-oriented songs, but they're 90% of the record is not ska. There's not many ska rhythms. They're mostly pop punk. I expected so much more brass, and yeah, very surprised. Right? Because yeah, I also knew Goldfinger is a ska band. How deep is your love? How deep is the ocean? How deep is the sea? And how deep is my love? How deep is your love? How deep is the ocean? How deep is the sea? And how deep is my love? It's miles away. Miles away. Miles away. Miles away. 
Goldfinger by Goldfinger does very well, thanks to a mix of the label pushing their first single very hard, and the song being generally catchy. Here in Your Bedroom gets really good airplay, charts at 47th on the Billboard airplay chart, and this is pretty much the peak of their pop popularity. This is the highest they will ever chart. It is a good track, to be fair. With this success on the resume, Goldfinger basically heads for about a year of straight touring, hitting, amongst the other thing, the World Tour. Yay! Uh, at some point, we're going to have to do a bonus episode just talking about the Warp Tour in some detail, because it comes up on every one of these. I regret the selection of records from this podcast not just being the bands that were touring at the Warp Tour every year. The problem is, we'd have to cover Flogging Molly 17 times. <laughs> yeah, no, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll stick to Rate Your Music and Billboard then. Let me see if I can find a list of Warp Tour line. Oh my god, there is one. There is. I, I looked at the Wikipedia. There's like a huge chart. Oh no. Oh no. Just seeing some of the bands that have been on this is painful. Come on, give it to us. 303, 36 Crazy Fists, 5606, A Static Lullaby, Aaron West and the Roaring Twenties, AFI three times. One Alien Ant Farm, The Alcoholic Spelled with a K, The All-American Rejects five times, All Time Low. Finally, we're listing bands I've heard of. I'm not even out of A yet. This list goes forever. I will give you a bad news, but AFI and The All-American Rejects would come up more than three times in our podcast. Ha 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 ha. All systems Go, Animal, Andrew W.K. repeatedly, Angry Samoans, I don't know what that is. No, I haven't heard of that one either. The Arrogant Sons of Bitches, As I Lay Dying, Assorted Jelly Beans, Eight Times from the Ataris. Wow. Oh yeah, the Ataris will also come up in this podcast. I, I know that much, yeah. Uh, Bad Religion I knew was there for the early ones. Uh, like, I could just keep going, but boy... Seeing this list, this is hell. <laughs> and we just made it through B. I'm just reading off the names that you would recognize. There's a few on these. Boxcar Racer. Remember Boxcar Racer? No, because you didn't live in San Diego. Boxcar Racer was half of Blink-182 doing a different band, which was also not Angels and Airwaves, which was also not... Which was also not Plus 49 or whatever the other yeah. band was. All of which were on this group, uh, this list, by the way. Yeah, and I'm gonna, without having listened to those bands in forever, I'm gonna say that Angel and Airwaves was the worst. I remember it being sort of like a Coldplay-ish soft rock thing. I don't know, Boxcar Racer existed. Hmm. Oh, wait. Nope, nope, I found the worst one. I can stop scrolling down the list. The Cherry Poppin' Daddies were at the Warp Tour. Oh. Heavy sigh. Depression. Remember when we allowed that to be the name of a band? That <laughs> happened. Culture! I wish I didn't remember that. <laughs> What's this we stuff? I had nothing to do with it. I was a child. Yeah, I think it was possibly before you were born. They got big in the mid-90s, didn't they? Mm -hmm. The Swing Revival. Yeah. Zoot Zoot Riot! Riot!
So speaking of hang-ups, their second album in 11 months of touring was 1997's Hang-Ups. Rifkin continued producing, this time helped by John Feldman on his first of many producer credits. Yep, I think this is their best record of the ones that I've listened to. It's more pop, it's very sonically diverse, they do a lot of different approaches to their music, they do a lot of pop stuff, it's good. If this record would have sold better, people would call it their sellout record, because it's definitely poppier, it's more mid-tempo, it's less punky, but it's also fun. And Superman is on this record, which is a great song. So the first single off it is actually not Superman, but This Lonely Place, which, unlike their prior album, I do not know this track. And it does not really chart or get a lot of airplay. So. The record does sell better than their previous one because of the whole thing where whatever happens with one album, the next one is what suffers or grows, and it jumps to 87 on the Billboard 200 records chart. So the band starts going back to touring because it's all they know. Record, record, tour, eat hot chip and lie. Bassist Simon Williams leaves the band following this and is immediately replaced by Feldman's ex-bandmate from Electric Love Hogs, Kelly Lemieux. Sometime between 97 and 99, Feldman also starts working as an A&R executive at Maverick Records, signing and producing Show Off and Mest. Spoiler alert, Feldman will have a long career in A&R and producing, eventually landing at Warner Brothers, as opposed to a long career with Goldfinger. Yeah, I mean, they're back. They're, they, they did the quarantine stuff. Yeah, everyone's back in quarantine, because what else do they have to do? Hey, bro, our band is, uh, existent? Zoom exists, you want to just record something and splice it together? Yeah, I got a nephew who knows how to work After Effects. Cool. But yeah, apparently Feldman will have like a long... He will produce the new Blink-182 record that everyone hated. Thanks, Feldman. <laughs> Thanks, we hate it. To, to be fair, Tom DeLonge is not on the new Blink-182 record, so... Hmm. Yeah, this is the one after he became the plant. But here's the reason any of you know Goldfinger's name. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, which picks up, trying to get that street skate vibe, Superman as one of the tracks in the original title. And more importantly, as far as I know, it's the track on like literally the first level of the game. So that's why it was so popular. Yeah, I believe it's one of the two that goes in the demo disc version as well. Funnily enough, the song was never a radio single of anything. This happened in 1999, two years after the record release. And Superman, despite their popularity, thanks to the um, Tony Hawk game, never charted. If you search for Goldfinger Superman on the Billboard chart search, not a hint of it. Will never be a single, will never be played in, on the radio with any consistency, but everyone knows it because everyone has played, aside from me, and me. Tony Hawk Pro Skater. And Adam, but you're justified. You weren't alive in 1999. I was too. That basically counts as not being alive. You're not alive till you're five. That's the rule. Oh. Hmm. I am actually kind of amazed that well, no, I'm not amazed this is one of the songs that's going to be in the new remake, but I am very much amazed by the fact that they decided to make all of the skaters look their actual ages. So it's a bunch of 50-year-olds and a young trans skater and Tony Hawk's kid. That's it. That's the new lineup. It's great. <laughs> that, no, I, I would play that. 
That sounds good. I'm going to buy it, so I won't tell you not to. We we should do a special episode about that game. That fits with our stuff. We've also covered at least four bands off of the soundtrack. They announced what was going to be in it recently, and I was just thinking, yep, heard that recently, heard that recently, love that album, heard that recently. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the Goldfinger will not just be in uh, Tony Hawk. The band will also appear on the soundtrack of Kingpin, Basketball, Meet the Diddles, Dead Man on Campus, Adam Sandler's The Water Boy, and American Pie. These are not quite lit level of these people are in every mediocre film ever, but they are getting there. Also, I would say multiple of those films are still actually funny. This is definitely a much higher bar than lit got to. Uh... Yeah, I mean, if you're American. I'm not going to say a couple of them aren't incredibly problematic. I would definitely say that I still laugh at a few. I I never found the American pie yelk of comedies funny. Aside from the problematic stuff, I just don't find them funny. You notice I'm not defending American pie. I said a couple of those. Okay. I haven't watched basketball. I would actually say it's probably the best thing the South Park guys ever did. Okay. I legitimately find some of the jokes in it hilarious just because they're, to steal a phrase from a few writers, not the lowest hanging fruit, but the ones directly above that. Until this conversation, I assumed that all of those were also video games, because I have not heard of any of them, and did not know they were movies. Kingpin was the Farrelly Brothers, Basketball was the South Park guys, Waterboy was Adam Sandler, Dead Man on Campus was MTV Films, Meet the Deedles I literally cannot conjure up in my head, and American Pie became the new national lampoon in terms of cheap sex comedies of the 2000s. Ew. Show me, show me, show me! So three years after Hang Ups and Meet the Deedles, Goldfinger released their third studio album, which we're looking at today. Stomping Ground is still produced by Rifkin and Feldman, but has the addition of Tim Palmer, a producer and technician who, among other things, mixed the seminal grunge record 10 by Pearl Jam. Uh, not many singles from this album will get US airplay, but there were three videos and this was in fact a European smash. And by smash, I mean it made some money. Have you all watched the videos? I did. Uh, no. They're very poorly shot and or kept because these are all blurry masses. I don't know if it's just that they didn't have a good raw to upload. And I think part of it is that they are in such low res that everything is compressed to hell and back. But... Even the best of them, uh, the 99 Red Balloons cover, looks like it was filmed with a Vaseline-smeared lens. Pretty much. Yeah, the Counting the Days video is unremarkable. It's just an ugly video that's not very well shot. Uh, I think the highlight of the video, or if you want to call it an highlight, is that in San Simeon, which is a you know live touring video, there is a quite 
clear shot of the naked naked penis of one of the bands and, and uncensored in the video at some point. I did not do enough Googling to find out which penis it was because it turns out that Feldman is very private about his privates. I found dick pics of the rest of the band. Oh dear. Allegedly. Haven't you compared and contrasted the dick pics with the video, the penis on screen? No, because it's been compressed to hell and back. That's what I'm saying. I couldn't find the last one to try and get it. And we're also talking about something that was filmed in Blurovision, so I needed the biggest spread. Mm -hmm. So now we know why it seems like it, the lens has been smeared with Vaseline, right? <laughs> Very much so. Boy, I hope that was Vaseline. <laughs> to recognize it properly, you really need that 4K penis. You cannot just go with a low-res, <laughs> you know, penis there. I need to get those electric love hogs on my screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyhow. The third single is the one that actually does better. Not in America, mind you. None of these things chart in America. But they're covered of uh, 99's Blue Balloon, which is 99 Red Balloon in their English version, becomes an European single and charts in Germany and Switzerland. Here's the thing, this record doesn't do great, but 99 Red Balloons does good in Europe, which means that Goldfinger is shipped on a European tour with Eve Six, Mest, and the Bloodhound Gang. Remember the Bloodhound Gang? I remember all three of those bands. Yeah. I remember one of those bands, which is, you know, weird for me. It's the Bloodhound Gang, isn't it? You, you... Nope, it's Mest. Oh, Ow. you don't know the Bloodhound Gang? <laughs> Never heard of them. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals, so let's do it like we do on the Discovery Channel. Nope. Wow. This roof, this roof is on fire. We don't need no water. Let the motherfucker burn. Mm -mm. I'm actually surprised. I would have thought that you would have been at just the right age to find that uh, hilarious and or edgy. Possibly. Anyhow. After the European tour, Chad Paulson, which is the guitar guy, the very distinctive one, who is like bald and has like this vaguely horror look. Everyone in Goldfinger looks like they're like just a fan, you know, pop punk band, and he looks like it's in fucking Nine Inch Nails or whatever. <laughs> they're like the guy that you say, oh, that, that guy is different from the rest of the band. One of these things is not like the other. One of these things doesn't belong. Surprisingly, he leaves the band. And from what I reckon, tries for an acting career, does a bunch of small roles in TV shows, and goes back to Goldfinger in recent time, in the pandemic times. He was in like an episode of The Shield. If you're the bald character actor opposite the lead of The Shield, you've screwed up, because you're going to lose that no matter what. <laughs> mm. 99 Red Balloons were also featured in two other movies. Well, three other movies. Our Lips Are Sealed, Not Another Teen Movie, and Eurotrip. Second time this comes up. Only one of those movies is anything that I can remember worth a damn. I don't even know what Our Lips Are Sealed is, so I'm going to look. But yeah, Goldfinger will move towards making their first album. And in the meantime, Mojo Records is sold to Jive Records, loses the ties with Universal, and the contracts of Goldfinger follows the same path. 
but we'll talk about that in the next time we meet Goldfinger. For now, let's talk about this record. So let's kick off with I'm Down, the first track. Speed is a lovely change of pace to start out one of these albums. Right? This is the first pop-punk record we did in a while, which I would actually classify as pop-punk in my mind. Yeah, this has a lot more energy than last week, and I was digging it. This track made me so hopeful for the rest of the album. Yeah, it's fast, it's fun. I will mention that I really like the mixing on this record. It's like absolutely immaculate. The drum, the drum are like very simple. They don't do anything fancy, but they pop so well in the mix that just enhances them that much. Everything looks like it's like going like in a complete clean lane for the frequency. It's great. Like the, regardless of what you think about the music, this record is just mixed so well. I love it. And uh, that's... That's about all we can really say about the first track. I like it. I like it. It's yeah, um I'm going to be saying a lot of this album is very standard for the genre, but it's got that little extra bit of polish that keeps me from ever going, oh, this drags. Yeah, this is a very and I say this in the best way possible. This is like a middle of the road, but in the good way, in that this is not, you know, this is not Jimmy at word. I would say this is not even you know, the Get Up Kids so far about the stuff that we talked about. But this is not Phoenix TX. So, you know, this goes in that middle category there. And this is better than that Bad Bad Religion album, I'll be honest. Oh yeah, this is mid-tier and pleasant to steal a line from later in my notes. Yeah, and this song is actually like one of my favorite of the record. It's a great opener. It's fast, the chorus is good. It's catchy. Enjoyable. I'd probably put it up there, yeah. Like, at least the first first songs of this record are all about, like, Goldfinger not liking a particular person. The specifically, I'm down and you're killing me, I'm down and you're killing me, is the chorus. Be like that sometimes, yo. Which is ironic because the next track is called Pick a Fight. I can't be happy without you. You can't be happy without me. Still, you always want to pay. Weird opening in that we first get our first oi! And also, the vocalist sounds very drunk for this first part of the song. It's method acting. I'll be honest, I like Feldman more than average for this podcast. I think it's a good vocalist, he has like a very meaty voice. Like, Yeah, he's good elsewhere on the track even. It's just this first line comes out kind of like this, and it's like, um? Look, sometimes you're just a bit tipsy when you go and record your second song for your record. I'm not gonna pretend I have never recorded anything drunk and or high. I'm just gonna say usually 
I will not release it as the final cut unless I'm desperate. Yeah, this is another, like, the first two songs of this record are very good. This has, like, a very good chorus, like the loud... Like, the very loud, like, rising melody is, like, very catchy. It's, like, a good hook. And Energetic. Is, yeah, it's good. The singer has a solid voice, works well with the chorus. They are very good at choruses. Their melodic ideas are great. The problem with this song, and the problem with a lot of songs of this record, is that they're not good at anything else. Like the, It's like, this is a great chorus. We will repeat this for three minutes. <laughs> and it gets a bit old. Most of the songs don't have a lot of variety to spice up you know, that single melodic idea. So they are all songs that are great for the first two minutes and then drag on in the last minute. And it's just like, ah. Yeah. Y'all said that this was going to be ska punk. I was hoping for some fast, short songs. And then we got this album and I was very sad. Yeah, this is fast, mid-length song. Hey, one song is barely over a minute. I'm waiting for it to dawn on you which one that is. I, I mm. mm-hmm. <sighs> sighs heavily. Clearly, according to our system that we our criticism that we just did, that song is the best of the record. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I love me some donut Dan. Adam 2020. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do like donuts. People named Dan are highly suspect. I think this is not the first time you've said that someone with X name is highly suspect. I need to start making a list. Can't trust Dan's, can't trust Jake's, Ezra's are questionable. (laughs) That's the secret, Fletch. I think everyone is suspect. This would probably be an incredibly forgettable track without the incredibly pop song guitar on this and the ending chant. But I think that spices it up compared to the last few things. It's interesting. It starts with a ska beat, like a ska rhythm at the beginning, where you're like, oh, this is why they call them ska. It's wrong, but this is why. And then it moves into sort of like a post-grunge alt-rock guitar, which I, you know, I tried different names for the songs. Um, I started with Skakor, but Skakor is already a thing. Scavi metal doesn't really work. Heavy Skatal just sounds like something ah. gross. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. Even I'm offended by that. <laughs> Post-scrunge is not great, but then I get it. It's alternative rock. You know what? That's pretty good. Also, classifying this as an alt-rock track might be why this is one of my favorites. 
Because, yeah, you're right. This does not fit as a straight ska song. It's definitely outside of the punk here. But, yeah, this one is my jam. I'd say this is probably my favorite track. Yeah, it has, like, the sort of, like, new metal-ish riff. It's a, it's a hard rock. It's more of, like, a hard alt-rock song. I don't hate it. I don't love it. The The guitar does some weird stuff. As always, it's a bit too long. They have really good melodic ideas. They don't build much on them. Shrug emoji. I'm into it. I think you've elaborated on why I am. Very glad you put into words what I couldn't quite get to click. We're three songs for three with songs about Goldfinger being annoyed by someone. Carry on, carry on, count the things that I've done wrong. Cut me down till there's nothing left now. It's very like... These are my dipping masters, but go off, as we mentioned a while ago. I think it would be really funny if you were each about different people, because sometimes you just have to make a whole album of just like, okay, and that person's an asshole, and I don't like that person, and uh, that person was kind of rude to me the other day, and... No, no, I think they're definitely about different people, because some of them are clearly about like a romantic interest, while others are definitely not. Music is your outlet sometimes. The next track is another track about Goldfinger being annoyed at people. It's the end of the day, where they are annoyed at the people who are telling them they're not punk enough. Which, to be fair, it's a fair target of people to be annoyed. Like, fuck gatekeepers. This was also the first one where I didn't dig it. Oh, no, I think this song is straight up really obnoxious, but... I can dig the lyrics because, like, fuck telling someone that they're not punk enough. But musically, this is borderline unlistenable to me. Also, you gotta love how much time has changed in 20 years. Oh, you live in your mother's basement, your mother pays your rent is a wild statement now. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. that's a generation. I believe you said earlier this band and album has a lot of boomer energy. Yeah, we're feeling it. I thought this song was called and was saying at the edge of the day, um, because that's what it sounded like they were saying to me. And then I looked at the title and I was like, oh, I guess that's not what they're saying. This is a lot less cool now. The edge of the day was like an interesting, cool concept. Also, I would have loved if this was slamming on straight-edge punks. I love when you misheard the lyric and then get disappointed because the lyric that you misheard is much better than the original one. There's an Orchard song that I was convinced was saying, you're not gonna gentrify me, which is like a really interesting lyric, but turns out they were saying, you're not gonna objectify me, which is good, but... Still good, but not as cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, now I want to use that in something. Not as avant-garde. Uh, but yeah, the, the end of the day, it's about people telling Goldfinger that they're not punk enough, and they're angry about it. It's, you know, I appreciate the lyrics. It sounds 
annoying. I don't have words to describe it. It's just like this very abrasive melody with like very discordant like guitar on it. They sampled Nazi punk fuck offs by the Dead Kennedys, which is always like sure. Yeah. I am always down for the Dead Kennedys. Yeah. And I don't have much else to say about this song. It sort of sucks. Don't say goodbye. Don't Say Goodbye exists. Somehow, I entirely missed this track in my notes. Um, This one is the one that sounds like the opening of Rio for a minute. Just sped up. (laughs) They, talking about Rio, Goldfinger did a great cover of Rio for that Duran Duran record we talked about a while ago. I recommend everyone to go listen to it. Yeah, that was a good album. It is a good album, but specifically that cover, I'm not gonna spoil the joke they do at the end, because I think it's hilarious. I agree, and that's why I'm keeping quiet. Yeah, just go listen to the Goldfinger cover of Rio. They're very good at covers, apparently. You know, before the whole phenomenon where people started making, like, metalcore covers of pop song, Goldfinger sort of pioneered the we're gonna get big by making punk pop-punk cover of pop song, which is interesting. But yeah, back to Don't Say Goodbye. This is sort of a song, you know how in Carry On they were like, Oh, Miss Girlfriend, you should stop criticizing me and annoying me. Now the girlfriend is just like, okay, I'm leaving. And they are like Pikachu meme JPEG, like the (laughs) Pikachu face. (laughs) I refuse to hear your criticism about me. If you don't like it, you can leave. Okay, I'm leaving then. Gasp. (laughs) Yep. Again, this is another song that's 2 minutes 30s, and it feels 30 seconds too long. It's a good, the chorus is really good. They just don't vary it enough to justify that last 30 seconds of it. Nope. Also, they're not very good at writing bridges. Like, the the guitar bridge is really boring. It's like, just 20 seconds, and just like, ah, this is sort of nothing. It doesn't make the song more varied sonically. It's just like there because you have to put something in the bridge. It's a good song though. Like it's not bad. It's just too long. Yeah. I think my criticism for this record applies to all of the songs. The chorus is really catchy. They don't do anything with it. I think it's not bad, but I think it's gone on for too long is a good summation of the album as a whole and i think there's about 40 seconds at the end that they could have cut specifically (laughs) that would have made it a lot better yeah 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 this would definitely be a single star higher on the scale if every track lost a minute yeah yeah i agree Mm -hmm. that also would mean donut dan is two seconds and i'm down (laughs) donut dan That's just how the album closes now. (laughs) I like that through all this record, the specter of Donut Dan just hangs over this review. (laughs) I feel like the specter of Donut Dan is going to hang over the rest of this podcast. (laughs) Like Phoenix TX and Tom DeLonge. I feel like if we did titles for episodes, the specter of Donut Dan would be a great one. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. I do put a little quote from every episode at the beginning of every description, so I think that's going there. Nice. Sweet. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is a, this is like they're going full concept album here, you know? They were telling their girlfriend to don't say goodbye in the last track, and this is the song when she said goodbye, and they're like, oh, I feel so lonely without my girlfriend. And it's, you know, it's a whole thing. It's a whole story. Absence of GFGF. <laughs> yep. And it, it's okay. It's fun. Kermit staring into the distance. It has been... Five days since last GF. I can only discuss this track in terms of outdated memes. It's been five days since you looked at me. <laughs> Plucked the string of guitar and said I'm angry. Three days since the living room. I noticed that you hit the drums. They go boom. <laughs> <laughs> I can keep this up. One day I'm going to be as funny as you two. I strive for it. You just have to have no filter or fear of failure, because think of how many things that I say that are crap, which Ellie cuts out. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I see. I mean, I would I would be like, oh, don't worry, I don't, but I do. Yeah. So. Don't worry, you're about to, because what's the next track? Oh, it's bro. <laughs> you're not my bro! 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 We ain't bros, bro! Bro! You know metal, bro? Bro. 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 Yeah, that's the song. I'm Mark Wahlberg too early last week, bro. This is bro. No, this is staying in, though. I'm not cutting this. Bro. So, bro is like a metal-ish song which I think there's a sort of degree of tongue-in-cheekness here but regardless it's pretty awful <laughs> it just sounds bad yeah. bro it's like Wahlburgers was a track bro <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if I just didn't like this because it's too hot for metal music where I live, but I'm I'm glad I'm glad to know that it wasn't just me and that this just actually does kind of suck. I mean I I think metal, this sound even though there's no rapping on it, this sounds limp biscuit. Like this has the, the radiates that new metal sort of limp biscuit energy. And I never want to be reminded of limp biscuit at any point. I would like to live my rest of my life forgetting that Limbiscuit ever existed, so, you know, that's just me. Bro, Fred Durst is a director now. He's artist. What did Fred Durst directed? He has directed multiple films now, breaking character, and one of them this last year is considered to be one of the 
shortlist for worst movies of 2020 because it's Fred Durst directing John Travolta. Oh, oh dear. Oh wait, if the one where it's like a yeah, a super f- god, the super fan stalker thing. Yeah. Oh god. Yup. That was Fred Durst directing and maybe writing. That explains so much about the film. Let me see if he wrote that. I'm going to stay blissfully unaware of this film and what it is and what it's about. You're not going to tell me. Directed and co-written by Fred Durst. Who else did the screenplay? Fred Durst becoming writer-director sounds like a joke. Sounds like something you would put in like a a cheeky sci-fi movie about like the near sci-fi near like future where like you have like I don't know like people slashing vampires and making quips in the post apocalypse and they go like and there's someone from the past and someone from the past goes oh I really like Limp Bizkit Fred Durst is good and they're like oh you like Limp Bizkit he's now a director now and he writes also and they keep killing vampires or whatever that sounds like a joke is what I'm trying to say that doesn't sound like something that would happen in the reality here's the thing You know it's his third film, right? What are his other films? The Education of Charlie Banks and The Long Shots. I don't know any of them, so I'm gonna gleefully ignore that. The Long Shots is Ice Cube playing a real person. Is that real person Ice Cube? No. It's a basketball coach. Okay. Welcome to 2020. You just learned about the trilogy of Fred Durst films. I didn't, so I'm good. I'm gonna pretend that I never heard any of this because I don't even know who this dude is. I assume he's in Limp Biscuit, but you know. He's the lead singer. Huh. Throw your hands up. I've never heard any of their music consciously, so I can just put file that under things I don't care about. Oh my god, you are so lucky that I don't currently have my soundboard turned on or I would make you hear the chorus of Roland on loop. The Undertaker entered to Rutland at some point in the 90s or early 2000. And speaking of Fred Durst and The Undertaker and losing steam quickly, let's move on to San Simeon. Oh, San Simeon is okay. It is perfectly acceptable music. The chorus is is really fun. It's very pop bullshit chorus. It's just like, oh, this is someone specifically trying to write a catchy pop song. But I like pop bullshit, so I'm into the chorus. I did enjoy the surf rock intro. This is, again, goes a bit too long, doesn't go really anywhere with the melody and with the idea, but it's all of these are perfect radio songs, because if you listen to a single one of the songs, you would be like, oh, this is pretty nice. A whole record of this sort of gets old, even though there are like some weird metal interludes. Yeah. But what this reminds me of, and I don't know if like that was a thing, but like this sounds like it should be really big and like sports circle because this sounds like very much songs that you chant at a like football game or whatever yeah this is very san dimas high school football rules yeah which is probably the 
intended effect, to be fair. This is my hometown. Yep. It's fun. It's fine. It's one of the songs that got a video. Uh, this is the penis song. Yes. This is the penis song. Someone has decided that the better way to describe cock rock or butt rock is to just call it penis music in 2020, and that is a phrase that has worked its way into my vocabulary. This is definitely penis music. No, no, no. This is not butt rock. This is not like, you know, the height of musical art, but I will not classify this together with, like, Bush or early Nickelback. I'm so glad that we don't have to cover Bush. Yeah. Because 2000s era Bush, woof. I, I, I just know some of the stuff from the 90s. Yeah, by the time we're at this point, he has married Gwen Stefani and is trying to make sad boy rock. Oh no! Why? Oh, oh my god, I have to find a track for you just to hear your reaction. Hold on. A perfect simplification of this record, by the way, is that we keep going on tangents. Just like, this is okay, now let's talk about something that's so bad it's interesting. Alright, I need you to listen, to just skip to any part of this track, this will be worth it. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Look at this photograph. It's that. <laughs> yeah. Except entirely unmockably sincere. Look how, how serious he is in the video. The chorus is the best. Silence is not the way. We need to talk about it. God, the production. Why is the production doing the fucking shitty Hubastank thing? <laughs> oh my god, I'm so glad I could spring that on you, that you didn't know that was coming. Goodbye, I'm not... I'm not watching this anymore. Reminder, this is why I'm glad we're not covering Bush. This is the era they're at. Well, we officially covered Bush in that era now, because this is going in a podcast. I thought oh it was god. a joke... But it's not a joke, so we can talk about you think it's a joke. Yeah. about the point where I realized this record had gone way harder than I expected for a ska album. Which, you know, I eventually figured out it wasn't, but... They keep teasing the ska, but they always just, like, go like, we're maybe gonna do ska. Nah, we're joking. We're gonna go back to the punk. They couldn't afford horns. I don't know if these lyrics are serious or are a joke. I don't know if they're parodying someone who's very, like, self-righteous, or they are genuinely, like, doing like a generic you suck and I am good for the world this is speaking of peak boomer energy holy crap yep but your intelligence gives you nothing to mask your ignorance is such a weird line I'm sorry I think if there's a god above to judge what's right and wrong your careless attitude will soon be gone yeah also 
I think of loneliness that you will die. First of all, that phrasing is weird. Second of all, buddy, pal, chill out. <laughs> you think the world revolves around the things you buy? Yeah, this is a wild track, but all I can say to this is this song is a joke. That's it. That's all that comes to mind. I'm trying to come up with legitimate criticism, and my mouth just wants to say this song is a joke. So here's the thing. Feldman is a vegan and very into animal rights, which I don't... Oh. I don't think those are bad things. I'm gonna preface that. I think it's completely great to support animal rights. And, you know, if you want to be a vegan, go for it. If you believe in that, that's great. This song is why... You know, if this song is serious, that's the thing that a lot of people find, you know questionable about that whole thing this song is like uh, you are extremely angry at everyone in a very self-righteous way which again not all vegans are not all animal rights activists are and most people who follow that stuff that's great stuff and i don't want to criticize that but let's just say what we're both thinking this is extreme straight edge punk energy yeah 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 but without without you know the music being good, like, this song is not that good. Yeah. Hey, you want to get to what is easily my low point of the album? Go for it. Is it forgiveness? Let's talk about forgiveness. I feel like they should be asking us for forgiveness because god this awful. They stole the guitar intro from like some Cure song because like the fuck is the, this guitar intro? So first off, I was primed to be mad at this because I got an autoplay ad before this track which had a funky bit of Belzgan guitar and I thought oh this is a cool set. now the ska's coming in and then it just turned out to be for some app so I was very upset. And that's before we got into the I'm apologizing for my sex pest friend vibes of the lyrics. So you've decided to blame him again for all your choices. You've made a fine career out of guilt. Maybe he just did the best he could with what he had. Try and let go, why don't you? Forgiveness might just save yourself. Don't you know what comes around goes around? And then there's the final stanza, which of course just ends with let it fucking go, why don't you? This has some, yo, man, Louis C.K. is funny energy to it. Ah, okay, so this is generic enough that I never read it as a sex pest thing. It felt to me more like Boomer telling, like, a kid that, you know, he should pull himself by the bootstraps and not... Ellie, perhaps you don't read it that way because you haven't heard enough people apologizing for their sex pest friends. If you've had that experience, you're just kind of like, uh, he, mm. That's completely fair. Yeah, this is totally, hey, maybe you're the problem here, because I'm not getting rid of my buddy energy. Yeah, maybe you should wear longer skirts. He wouldn't be a problem then. That, that's completely fair. Again, I just, the, the lyrics are 
I don't like they are definitely hinting at that, but they are also very generic. Like there's no there's nothing specific which I feel like open you know. The one that really pushes it for me is you've made a fine career out of guilt. This this was easily my low because the instant I started reading along, it's just like, wow, this will not let up, and it is just beating someone down for why not just let go? This you know, you're the only one who's still upset about this. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, it's not very good musically either. Nope. For some reason it begins with like a very like I don't know, boys don't cry intro guitar. Which is just like, huh, this is where you're going now? Okay. Steals the riff of good cure tracks and the energy of a four thirteen dream B side. Okay. <laughs> I can see that. I will never, ever stop shitting on 413 Dream. It is one of the worst albums I have ever paid for. Anyway, Margaret Ann exists. like this one it sure is a lady's name over and over it has a that's a very cheesy synth line to start the song the song goes for a popular feeling reminds me a bit of hang up doesn't quite get there but it's fine it has sort of like a 80s british pop feel to it of like some melodic ideas that remind me of that specific period in music it's, it's fine. If this were in the first chunk of the album, where I was still writing notes to myself like, yeah, this is perfectly middle of the road and serviceable, I would probably be way more chill on it than directly after Forgiveness. Yeah. 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 Checks track list. Ah, yeah, th this is in uh, 99 Red Balloons, or the uh, only two good songs that I actually liked on the last half of the album. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, the next song, Getaway, is pretty bad. Longest track on the album and incredibly passive-aggressive. Probably my favorite bad lyric on the whole record, though. Get away from me so I don't tell you something. <laughs> yeah. This song very much reminds me of, like, a tantrum that, like, a, a, a preteen throws. Get away from me or else I'm gonna say something mean to you. Yeah, I could see that. And this is definitely not something that should be your longest track on the album, coming in just under four minutes. I think this is the only one that removing a minute from it would not save by our earlier metric. What saves the other songs if you make them shorter is they have really good catchy choruses. This doesn't. Get away from me, get away from me, get away from me, and unless I tell you something, it's very bland. 
Aren't they, like, in their 30s now? Yeah, this definitely feels like something that would have been written by one of the younger bands for some reason. I could also, like, position this as, like, a very, like, middle-aged person being like, you kids should stay away, otherwise I'll tell you off. Get off my lawn, you hoodlums. But let's go into, I think all of us loved, their cover of 99 Red Balloons. Yes! I really like this. This is a really good version. The song really brings itself to being played with guitar, with like a faster, punkier attitude. This is the best song on the record. I will be honest, I zoned out sometime in the middle of Get Away and did not tune back in enough to actually enjoy or hear this song. (laughs) It probably didn't help that... They pay homage to both versions of the original track, and it is half in German. Yep. See, I didn't even catch that. I love that it's half in German. Yeah, I actually found that a very good uh, touch, and I think that's why it was picked for Eurotrip. German is neat. Yeah, I also think the English lyrics, like, not necessarily the lyrics, but the songs sung with English lyrics always sounded weird to me. I don't like the English version of the original song. You and I both. I like that they do off in German because it sounds—it just sounds better. It feels like the German language scans way better with the lyrics. It's written to be sung by a German group, and while that same group did do an international version, yeah, the the track does not have the same scansion and flow in a language that it was not meant for. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where it's just, this is the best song of the record, and you know why? Because the basis of it is a song that's way better than anything Goldfinger ever did. Yeah. You know, to their credit, they do a good version of it. Their main weakness is that they are very, they have sort of like a very repetitive, they don't, they have great melodic idea, but don't do much with them. And they are playing in a space where the song itself already has like a more like listenable, better structure. And so they can, you know, they can apply their skills to from that base to actually make something that's really good. And to add to that, switching language in the middle of the songs add even more variation and makes makes it very interesting. I like it. Okay. I went back and listened to it and I can confirm this song is one of the better songs on the album. Yeah. I will throw out that uh Goldfinger has talents that do not lie in songwriting, but they make very good covers because they adapt well. Yeah, that's fair. The same thing with the Rio cover. It's distinct. It fits their strengths. They put a spin on it. You come out of it going, oh, yeah, I like that. I think they have one very good songwriting ability, which is like, their chorus are great. I I wouldn't absolutely say anything about their choruses. They're great. There's just nothing else around them. 
usually. Something else that I was thinking about with Superman being one of their biggest successes, probably because for the Tony Hawk games, at to a certain point, you only had two-minute runs. So you'd restart if you screwed up, but the songs that they chose for that soundtrack had to be something that you could hear most of or get the gist of in two minutes and not find it irritating. That's the energy they brought earlier. Nothing on this album would fit in that kind of rinse-repeat quick play. And I think that's one of the biggest weaknesses of this versus some of that earlier material. Did, did that make sense? Yeah, that made sense. We're just all trying to stretch out talking about this song as long as possible. Here's the thing. We can sum up the final song in under 60 seconds, which is about how long it lasts. In fact, I am actually going to set a timer right now that we will only have 60 seconds of Donut Dan discussion because that's all it needs. So. Okay, timer go. Go. Donut Dan absolutely sucks. I don't know if it's transphobic or homophobic. I didn't quite parse the lyrics. It can be both. It's transphobic. It's a whole thing. It's basically, haha, you gay. And the only thing about this that takes it out of the realm of other things is it does have that extra SoCal middle finger with the final lyric being Tapatio and $5 Mercy Jerk, with that being a hot sauce from around the border. I don't know what that means. It's a hot sauce that's very common around the uh, Mexican border. A lot of Tex-Mex places will use it. Okay, why is that? What's the relationship of that? To anything in this song? No, it's just, haha, you got jerked off at some kind of taqueria or something. That's it. Uh, hey, good news. It turns out we're out of time, so no more discussion of Donut Dan. It stinks, to quote the critic. Bad. Ah, John Lovitz. That was Stomping Ground by Goldfinger. It was okay. It would have been okay. Firmly okay territory. This is the middle of what we've done. If this wasn't the first time we encountered this band, I would have proposed doing two records for this episode because there's not much to say about this specific record. And in fact, here's what puts this firmly in middle territory. A lot of different things could be done to this album to raise it, which means there is potential here but none of them were done because this feels like a band that's on the verge of burning out and splitting up. And I think they're actually going to shortly after this for a while. For a while, yeah. They're, they're, they still have a couple of records in them, but also, like, none of the things that you can think of to make this record better are necessary. Like, this record is perfectly fine. Could be better. Could be worse. Yeah, it's two-star territory. Nah, I, I rate this a three star. Two star for me is something that's bad. I think that's sort of different for our rating system. If it were a little tighter, we'd be three 3.5 territory. I think if you cut Donut Dan, I'd give it half a star. Okay. But I also think the 99 Luftballoons cover is pretty good. 
And I think that the opening third of the album is pretty solid. So I don't want to crap all over that. It's just, this is more filler than killer by volume. Hmm, that, that is fair. I Honestly, I probably liked it more than you. I like all of the choruses on this record, almost all of them. The only thing that I didn't like was, of course, Dotted Dan. The forgiveness is mediocre, and you pointed out that the lyrics are worse than I was imagining, or at least they feel worse in a certain kind of way. Uh, and I didn't like the two metal song, but everything else in this record is like, it would be comp- it would be pretty good if I listened to it in isolation. I think this fails as a whole record because there's a lot of sameness and a lot of things drag. And when you listen to the single tracks on their own, it's not a bigger problem. But when you put them together in like a, what's this, like a 30 minutes, 40 minute listening experience, it becomes... It becomes a bit, yeah, becomes worse. I don't hate it. Again, for me, it's three stars, maybe 2.5, but it's it's on the okay range. This is okay. I could bump this up to a 2.5. I think that this album sucks because y'all said ska punk, and I was like, oh boy, horns. And there weren't. Look, don't fault me. Fault fucking rate your music, which I'm becoming to hate viscerally how they tag stuff um, this is not a ska record it was tagged as ska today i was reading through i today i was listening to some dance gavin dance which i'm not a huge fan of but i will listen to sometimes and i just discovered that one of the records is classified as emo pop for no reason at all they're not an emo pop band so i guess that's on our spreadsheet right now read your music previously classified coheed and cambria as pop punk the fuck uh, this is my rate your music tags rant, but sometimes there are some baffling like tags in that website, and I regret that we choose that to classify the music that we're going to talk about. You did see this week that there was actually a meme going around that was based on how bad their tagging is, right? No. What? Go to rateyourmusic.com, find your favorite album, look at the descriptions. That's the description of your ideal partner. <laughs> All right. This is, I, I don't think it's about the tagging, but they added like mood descriptions. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to go and look at my favorite album on Radio Music. Uh, the one that it was linked to me with is one of my exes, who is a lovely woman who is now freshly married again. Uh, glad that you are doing well, Jane. And she was saying that she felt incredibly called out by hers, which had mysterious, psychedelic, surreal ominous, hypnotic, warm, rhythmic, paranormal, cryptic, dense, anxious. <laughs> okay, I should read, uh, so from my favorite album, it's mellow, ethereal, peaceful, instrumental, warm, calm, atmospheric, soft, sentimental, soothing, and lush. Um, melodic, love, energetic, anthemic, party, hedonistic, Drugs, alcohol, summer, urban. Huh. <laughs> I'm not vibing with that. I love the idea of an anthemic lover. That's, uh... Oh, I feel incredibly called out. Oh, what's yours say? Fantasy, epic, philosophical, complex, surreal, melancholic, abstract, improvisation, <laughs> psychedelic, 
medieval, anxious, <laughs> dense. I'm sorry, you'll have to go back in time, Fletch. You need a medieval lover. Medieval is a wild one to swing on King Crimson. Well, in the court of the Crimson King, that's literally about medieval shit. I guess, but we're also talking about an album that involves epitaph and 21st century schizoid man. I think we're done. I think we're done talking about Goldfinger. Yeah, Banana Fish is the real Goldfinger. Go read or watch it. This was the episode. We talked about Stumping Ground by Goldfinger. May I say, this does have a great cover with the kaiju-inspired artwork. Oh, I love the cover. They are, like, looming over a city, just smashing it. It's, it's pretty good. Funny. So, if you want to listen more of our silly retrospective podcast, where 90% of the episode is spent talking about The Cure, you can go on getoutofthistown.com, which is our website. If you want to get in contact with us and tell us your opinion, your thoughts, you can mail us at getoutofthistownpodcast at gmail.com, or you can add us on Twitter at ggottpodcast. Our episodes are recorded about a month before they go live, so there might be a bit of a delay before we respond to you, but we will get to it. You can also find us on every platform that has podcasts in the world. We're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're on Google Play. We're on TuneIn. We're everywhere. You can, especially if you go on iTunes... Feel free to rate and review us. Do it. It helps. Review I don't us. know how. I don't understand the algorithm, but I hear that if you if you put number of stars that are high, more people will listen to us. Yeah. Write nice things, please. We are very sensible. Ellie's very sensitive. Also, I'm a heavy now, so I can like pound you. And not in a fun way. Also, if you go on our website, I made a Spotify playlist where I add all of the stuff that we listen to. So, that's fun. Next week, we'll talk about SR71, Now You See Inside, Fletch favorite band. It's going to be interesting because I didn't know there were prototype versions of tracks that I'd heard before. Non-toxic, ordinary day. Do you have anything to plug, Fletch, aside from your cover of Non-Toxic? I think I will just say that if you head over to hellscaper.com, you can find a list of all of my projects. Do you have anything to plug, Adam? Nope. I'm a loser. And you can find me on Twitter at ACCTheMoon. And if you want to support us, we don't have a Patreon, but we currently acquired a certain amount of gold. And if you pass by Fort Knox, it would really help us if you could irradiate all of the gold in the American Reserve to increase the value of the gold we own. Might also kill some virus. Goodbye. Goodbye. See ya. Lyricism, I'm just Get dropping it. rhymes That's like flies. Let's go freak out everyone, no reason. I didn't get it because I haven't seen that. Not like I've got the time to stick around. I'll catch my flight like a pop pumpkin. Get out of this town. What's on your mind? There's no point left to keep your image down. Let's terrify.
Boom, boom. Alright, now let's take a look at your answers. First up, Counting the Days. No, that is not the best song on the album. I'm sorry, you have wagered everything. You are going home penniless today. San Simeon. No, also a failure. And did you get it right? Yes, 99 Red Balloons. It looks like you're going home and coming back tomorrow as our new champion. Thank you, and everyone else, you're getting some money from Bayer because only olds and children watch Jeopardy. <laughs>